Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, we welcome Ryan Johnson to the table. After carving up his own Star Wars story, now he's got his knives out. Plus, Jennifer Kent's follow-up to The Babadook, The Nightingale, which has seen audiences flying out of their seats. I'm Jake Cunningham. I'm putting the clues together with me this week. It's Sam, the snowman, Howlett. I gave you all the clues, Jake. I'm looking forward to deciphering them with you, <laughs> Mr. Police. And we're here hoping that regular guests Kelly and Hannah feel better very soon. Although, Sam, with this episode being all about a murder mystery and this podcast studio starting the day with four people and now only two, should I be worried? I suspect foul play. <laughs> uh, I'm very excited to talk about Knives Out and had a great time talking to Ryan Johnson and we'll hear that in just a bit. But we're going to start with The Nightingale. So this is the new one from the director of The Babadook, Jennifer Kent, and it's a blood-soaked radical redress of history set in colonial Tasmania during the brutal Black Wars. Claire, played by Ashling Franciosi, is indentured to Lieutenant Hawkins, that's Sam Claffin, and denied the right to rejoin her husband and child. When Hawkins commits an act of sexual violence upon her, she hires an indigenous guide to stalk him and his company and enact revenge. Sam, this is the first film from Jennifer Kent mm-hmm. since she made The Babadook, which was released in 2014. Uh, were you a fan of that film? I was a fan of that film, and that film feels like a precursor to things like Hereditary and Midsummer, in the way that it's a horror film that isn't necessarily made for horror fans. It's a really well-told, really well-executed, almost European-influenced film that has horror elements to it. And I think it's a really incredible film. I think, you know, the way it tells this kind of possession story in a way, um, but is more, that's a metaphor for a single mother dealing with her really difficult child. And I think she absolutely nails the metaphor that she's going for in that film. I think it is a scary film. And I think she really you know, delivered one of the best debuts Mm. for a while. I have to say I wasn't a humongous fan of that film. I thought it was fine, but it fell into the trap of showing the villain Mm. and losing the fear. I think the first, must be hour, 50 minutes Mm. of The Babadook is when it's at its scariest. Yeah. Um, 
And I, I liked how it showed little kids to just be absolutely awful yeah. and how tough that can be on a parent, yeah. let alone a parent who's single and grieving. And you and can, now there's a monster. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like, the real monster is her son. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is some horrible images in there just of... Kids a, screaming in the yeah, back of a car. Oh, God. But there's also the thing of that film where I don't... It's not a film I've revisited, but I think that's because it's not really a fun film at all. Mm. Like most horror films, even Hereditary, which is quite a nasty horror film, has an element of like playfulness at times. And there's a kind of sparkle in Hereditary's eye that I think Ari Aster's kind of having fun with you as well mm. because it's so horrible. Whereas Babadook, I think, is, you know, it, it's really down to the ground. It's quite, it's bleak, it's tough, and it doesn't want you to have much glee with it. No. And I think that's something she's carried over here. Yeah, I mean, just thinking oh about gosh. it. <laughs> um, yeah, The Nightingale is, it's a long dirge uh, that yeah. is, is rough. It's taking all of those <laughs> bits from the Babadook that you wish you could escape from and just extending them even further. Um, it's had a lot of walkouts. That's a lot of the press around this film mm -hmm. seems to be that people are leaving the cinema during it. Um, why is that? There's a lot of sexual violence in the film and there's a lot of violence towards children in the film and a lot of just general unpleasantness and brutality and it's told in a very unflinching way. And I can totally see why people would walk out of that because it is, it's a shock when you see something like that. Even after everything we've seen on film and TV over the past however many years, when you see these things happen in such a, as I said, a way that really throws it at you. And, not, and in a matter-of-fact way. It's, yeah, it's not done to be... It's not like a Tarantino-y kind of tongue-in-cheek cartoonish violence. It's full-on gritty, and that's really tough for a lot of people. And for someone... I watch a lot of horror films. I, I found it tough as well to watch these yeah. things happen. And I think it's just trying to place us in the, in the fields, in the cabins of the colonial Tasmania yeah. where this is so casual and, yeah. or it was so casual and this is giving it that lens. Yeah, and what's interesting is that, so you say Babadook was back in 2014 so it's been a long time since her previous film and I think from what I've read she was offered a lot of films after the Babadook. I think what she was in talks for Wonder Woman for a while and things like that. But I think ultimately what she's come out with is a, is the film that she wants to make, and she wants to, she's Australian. She wants to tell a story of Australia and about British colonisation of Australia and the sort of historical injustices committed there to women and to people of colour, uh, the indigenous people of Australia, and she doesn't want to shy away from the horrors that were committed during those times. And yeah, so she uh, really goes for it. And I think some people have seen it as exploitative or indulgent yeah. in those moments. But um, New York Times said the punishment is the point. Do you think well, that's fair? Well, Is it punishing? I think it is. It's definitely punishing. I think, you know, when you have a film with these moments, and it's not like there's just one moment, there's several, um, and it goes on for nearly two and a half hours, that, you know, I think the only word you can use is punishing. And I think, again, the point is that Jennifer Kent isn't doesn't want this to be an audience-friendly film. She wants people to really understand what was happening at that time and how brutal it was. But it's also interesting from the point of view that, like, 
Sam Claflin, who up until this point in his career has been very nice, handsome British actor Sam Claflin. Like he's not a megastar yet, but he's mm. a kind of a name people know him from Me Before You, from the Hunger Games films, from Journey's End. And here he does things on film that I think other actors wouldn't want to do. I was thinking like comparing it to like someone like Tom Hiddleston at that point in his career would have probably thought I shouldn't do this film. I shouldn't be seen doing the things that this character does. So it's a really brave performance from Sam Claflin. It's also really brave from the lead actress, uh, Ashleen Franchiosi, who I knew from The Fall. She's the the, the sort of the neighbor's daughter, the babysitter, if you remember. Oh, the, for, the, the, the TV Jamie Dornan yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, because, yeah, she's, again, she's put in situations in the film that are really vulnerable and really tough and really grueling. And, you know, she is very much the centre of the film and she gives a really strong performance. And it's it's holding with her for so yeah, much of that runtime. Exactly. And to put her through so much through that amount of time is, I think, it must be, you know, really hard for a, an actor, especially a young actor. Mm, yeah, um, really impressive stuff, like regardless of how you feel about the film as an endurance test for you, the performers. Yeah. The thing with this film is we can't you can't we can't shy away that this is going to be a tough watch for a lot of people. But I think, you know, it's one of those things, you know, to be part of the conversation, it's definitely worth a watch. Yeah. Um so if you if you have seen the Babadook and are curious to yeah, see uh what Jennifer Kent has now made. I think maybe comparisons could be drawn to something like The Revenant as yeah, a absolutely. extreme kind survival of survival, revenge, uh sort speaking of, of revenge. Yeah. You're totally, yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's very similar to um, a French film called Revenge that came out last year, which is a kind of a slightly feminist twist on the rape-revenge genre, and I think this shares something in common with that in many ways. Yeah. Okay, so that is The Nightingale, which is in cinemas and on home cinema as well um, from the 29th. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so do check that one out over either in the screen or at home if you can. Um, We must move on to Knives Out. Sam, your eyes have lit up. This is a (laughs) slightly different film to The Nightingale. Totally different. Yeah. um, So this is perhaps the hottest new mystery since Colleen Rooney's Instagram post. Imagine if that was a film. (laughs) It's going to be, surely, isn't it? Yeah, Benoit Blanc from this. (laughs) Yeah, it's been called in. It's Rebecca Vardy's account. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this one's about crime author Harlan Thromby. The names are so good. Yeah. Uh, who's played by Christopher Plummer. He's gathered his family around his country pile for his 85th birthday, but he doesn't live to see the full celebration, having apparently committed suicide. Yet, Detective Benoit is dubious, that's Daniel Craig, and he sets out to unpick the family's long-held grudges to find the culprit. So we spoke to Ryan Johnson about this one. I was lucky enough to do so. Uh, how are we feeling about RJ at this point, Sam? I'm a big Ryan Johnson fan. Um, ever since he debuted with Brick, which is a really, again, another uh, talking about another director who did a really impressive debut film. Uh, Brick is probably his most similar film to this in the way it's a it's a noir thriller, but set all in a high school. Mm. And, then, and it doesn't shy away from being noiry. Oh like yeah, the dialogue is almost impenetrable. It's it's yeah. like its own lexicon. Exactly, it feels like a different language at times. And then he followed that up with the Brothers Bloom, which is, I think, considered like an admirable miss from him. Uh, I don't think he quite 
achieved what he wanted to, but I think it's definitely worth a watch to be a completist. And then he did some of the best episodes of Breaking Bad. Uh, he did Fly and he did Ozymandias, a couple of others. Mm. Uh, he did Looper, uh, which is a really good genre piece as well with Bruce Willis and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And then he did the last, a small film called The Last Jedi. Yeah, the best Star Wars film. <laughs> I think it is the best made Star Wars film, absolutely. I think the thing with The Last Jedi, what I love about The Last Jedi is that that film could have been just a good sequel to The Force Awakens. And I think the fact that it is what it is and it's so divisive makes it a better film and it makes Star Wars more interesting and exciting as well. Yeah. Like imagine if the the second film was just sort of Force Awakens 2, it's, you know, it carries, you know, all those themes over, it's sort of half remaking Empire Strikes Back or something. And he, I feel like Ryan Johnson had had ideas of what we wanted to do for a Star Wars film for his whole life. And he just thought, this is my only chance. I'm just going to make these things I thought of 30 years ago happen yeah and he's he's almost like a fanboy auteur he like is a fanboy auteur he's yeah. clearly making his own things how he wants to make them but he's not a Lars von Trier or a Tarantino or something who is so like rigid in he's their identity hot, yeah he's not like I hold no prisoners I make what I want no yeah. matter what the atmosphere is like on set no matter what the critics think I, I make what I want to do and you know, for him to follow up Last Jedi with this, I think a lot of people think, oh, so he, uh, you know, he did The Last Jedi was one for them and this is his one for me. I think Last Jedi is the most one for me <laughs> franchise film ever. It's so just one guy thinking, that'd be cool. Yeah. I really want to do that. And somehow Disney were like, okay. Um, so yeah, and I'm glad that after all he went through with The Last Jedi, the fact that it was so divisive and he got a lot of... Uh, trolling online yeah. uh that he went straight and still back. does stupidly yeah. yeah it's annoying uh and it's actually made me feel maybe like the film more because i feel like i really have to defend it sometimes mm. um to the to go straight away into this weird agatha christie throwback is a really strange move but i think absolutely the right one yeah um so that is knives out and i was lucky enough to talk to ryan johnson all about it check 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 Sounding, you're sounding wonderful. Perfect. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, it's, do you know Curzon? When the yeah, sure. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Well, was, uh, we lived in London for a year and a half making the Star Wars movies, so we go to the Curzon cinemas all the time. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Um, so, perhaps more than anywhere else at the moment, podcasting seems to be the place to talk about murders. <laughs> so we are we're delighted to welcome Ryan Johnson <laughs> into the podcast to talk about Knives Out. Very happy to be here. Um, and we're back in London, and you just mentioned, yeah, you spent 18 months here. Anything you missed? Yeah. Anything I missed? Yeah. I'm sure anything, I missed quite a bit. Oh, no, anything you missed? Oh, yeah. No, just the city in general and the people mostly. You know, I made a lot of friends while I was here, and I don't know. I have great memories of being here. So, it, I don't know. It does, it does really feel a bit like coming home, being back in London. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Um, so, we're delving into Knives Out. Now, there's a DNA of a century or more of murder mystery stories uh, right in the heart of this film but it's firmly rooted like in the present. Was there any temptation when you were making it to make it a period piece? Well, I mean, when I first started, it was just, let's do a whodunit. And so I didn't know if it was going to be contemporary or period, and I went back and forth. But ultimately, one of the things that felt really exciting to me was doing it contemporary. And But what was exciting was not just, that, that to me that meant not just giving people cell phones and, giving it kind of like a modern day skin and saying it's contemporary, what what that really meant was putting it in 2019 and really plugging it into the culture today. 
the same way that Agatha Christie with her books back when she was writing, you know, um, she's writing from like the 20s through the 60s, but whatever period she was writing in, her characters were kind of these caricatures of types that were in her contemporary society at the time. Um, and so the idea of doing that with 2019, not doing like our version of Colonel Mustard and Professor Plum, but okay, we're going to do an alt-right troll. Okay, we're going to do a, <laughs> we're going to do a lifestyle guru. We're going to do we're going to do types that um, maybe an audience today will recognize a little bit more from our culture. And beyond the character types, what are the, what are the tools that you think you you are able to introduce that wouldn't have been in an Agatha Christie? What does having an iPhone mean yeah. to a script? Well, luckily it doesn't mess much up with a whodunit. I think it's it's much more problematic with spy stories or thrillers um, or horror movies. But with a whodunit, there's this unique structure with a whodunit where it's 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 almost like a it's, it's not it's kind of like a time travel movie. Like there's two timelines going on at once with a whodunit. There's the present day investigation, and then there's the night of the murder. And the top time la- timeline is constantly dipping into and investigating the bottom timeline. Um, and because of that, it 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 weirdly when I was writing, there was no instance where I was like I had to resort to oh they can't get reception on their cell phone. <laughs> the luckily enough, yeah. But um, yeah. Other than that, there's no. I mean, I don't know. It, it, it's 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 not like I pulled out like uh, um, any kind of modern day tricks or anything. It's not a very tech based movie. It's not like someone kills somebody using nanotechnology or something. It's it's fairly old school. And you, you almost read my mind about my next question. There, I'm really curious. In your filmography, there's definitely this interest in temporality, yeah. like whether that is directly time travel or whether that is giving the Skywalker flashbacks. Yeah. Um, is that something that, like, when you go into a project you're interested in, whether that's something you know that you can play around in the edit with time, is that something unique to your, like, how you think about film? As uh, yeah, I've never quite thought about it, but it is, I mean, it's something that's quite fun to play with, and it's something that is very uniquely suited to cinema, I think. For example, like, you know, in Knives Out, one scene that no matter how much I ended up kind of toying with um, where the story goes, I always knew it wanted. I wanted to end up with what what, what is one of my favorite types of scenes in all of all of fiction, which is the detective in the library laying out the whole crime at the end. And uh, I wanted to have that scene. And what is really fun about that scene is the flashbacks in it. As he's talking, you cut to seeing things that you've seen pieces of throughout the movie or that you've seen from a slightly different perspective where you're hearing something slightly different when he's saying it. Um, I don't know. That's something that cinema is uniquely suited to. It's something that I, um, I don't know, it's just something that's, that's fun to kind of explore with it. Yeah, and those little bits that you give us at the end, hinting at. And I was talking to a friend about about the film yesterday, and weirdly, this script that I compared it to with the Paddington films. Oh, I love that. That That's a huge compliment. Oh, they're amazing films. (laughs) So good, yeah. But the idea of everything having a payoff, everything has a reason to be there. I love that, yeah, yeah. And it made me think, I don't know if you've seen the image of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the post-it notes and string on the yes, wall. Yes, yeah. Connected. yeah. <laughs> and I'm imagining when you first re- like got every detail on this script in place, is that what your wall looked like? Oh, uh, no, it's, uh, I mean, I mean, the tricky thing is always, um, 
you know, because you do, there's a lot of math that goes into figuring out like all the connections and all the plotting and everything. But I mean, the analogy I, I always make is, uh, you know, the work really goes into making sure that for the audience, it feels like a roller coaster ride, not a math problem. And so making it feel simple, even if it's complex, um, and making it feel like one thing flows into another and you're having this ride, that, that, that's, that's where most of the work goes into. Even if your wall looks like, you know, the, a serial killer's wall, you have to make sure the audience actually can stay oriented throughout the whole thing, you know? Yeah. And um, something that is quite strange about the film in a way is that it manages to be both like really cozy and warm, yeah. but totally kind of, daunting and scary at the same time and that yeah. i think that's down to the the house the the design the yeah. costumes could you briefly talk about your your work with the art department and costume here well i mean that tonal balance is something i'm really happy to hear you say that because that's something i think that uh, that makes me think of christie's books that's a, a, a duality that she always strikes um so our production designer was david crank who is a genius he did a lot of work with collaborating with jack fisk on paul thomas anderson's movies on terrence malick's movies um he's an incredible designer and we found this house and he and our kind of uh, you know our, our set decorator art art designer david schlesinger filled it up with all of these amazing sort of relics and automatons and pieces of art and broadsides and crazy sculptures and weapons and you name it. I just told them to go to town. Um, one reference I gave them was the 1970s movie Sleuth with uh, Michael Caine and Laurence Olivier, which is one of my favorite films. And that also takes place in a mansion that's owned by an eccentric mystery writer. And the inside of the mansion is like the inside of his brain and uh, filled with games yeah, if anyone listening to this has not seen the original Sleuth, not the remake, but the original one, go go back and watch it. Brilliant. And finally, where did the name Thromby come from? Oh, so there's a there's a series of books that I don't know if they ever made any headway over here. Choose your own adventure. Oh yeah, I've heard yeah, of you. yeah. All right. So the very first round of them back when I was a kid, they had one who done it in there, and the name of it was Who Killed Harlow Thromby. And so I just swiped it. <laughs> Ryan Johnson. Steel brazenly. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Cheers. So, Sam, you've just come out of the screening. Daniel Craig has given you a monologue telling you exactly how everything happened. How are you feeling? I have a huge smile on my face as yeah. what happens, Jake, because this film is so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's good. so good. Yeah. And I was expecting it to be good but then it was really good. Mm. It's so tight and so well told. Just everything about it is impeccable. Everything about the acting, everything about the way it looks, everything about the way the story unfolds, every little character beat is so well tuned in. And again, you is so confidently what Ryan Johnson wanted to make, I think. Mm. And he really is conveying that without being aggressive about it. Yeah, you don't feel like... This is a, a writer who is bleeding on the page. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. 
Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. To get this out, it's just totally effortless whilst being clearly so well thought out and so deeply researched but it's so good it's so cool as well um and it manages to be just like a really fun blockbuster for some moments but also just a great murder mystery you could watch on christmas eve with the family yeah yeah it's so audience friendly and there's not one uh like iota of i think i'm smarter than you Mm. You know, I think a lot of a lot of filmmakers doing their their spin on a genre thing would be really kind of I know better. I'm above this genre, so I'm going to do my version of it. This isn't that at all. This is so that genre that's just done really well, and it's just full of wonderful characters, wonderful performances to just chew on. Yeah, um, I mean, we could spend an hour just go tracking <laughs> all the of them because yeah. they're all having so much fun. Um, having, I think, the most fun is Daniel Craig. The most fun of any any film performance of all time. <laughs> yeah, his Benoit Blanc. Benoit Blanc. <laughs> yeah, it's no, it's so nice to see him not do James Bond, isn't it? It is nice, and it's nice that you kind of I don't know who came up with the uh, idea for him to be like this because he's a, a southern gentleman. He sounds like Foghorn Leghorn. Whoever's, like, it feels like it was Craig's idea, even though I'm sure it was Ryan Johnson's idea. But it feels like, he's like I'll only do this film if I can have this really stupid accent and a yeah. really stupid name. And Ryan was like, "Yeah, of course, yeah, <laughs> yeah." I mean, I was going to uh, write yeah. it like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's also great that all the, everyone else in the film is this like uptight New England wasp, and they are very, you know got to keep up these proper good appearances mm. and then he bursts in and everyone's like who the hell is that guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh it like we got a little bit of this in logan lucky i think a little tease yeah. of what he could do if he was just given sure. total freedom and he, he's he's fantastic yeah every bit of scenery is chewed and then he goes back for seconds it's yeah. tremendous fun it's it is a kind of Poirot has the same thing where he's this really extrovert European, often in a room of stuffy English people, and he is ridiculous and has this huge moustache. And everyone's like, who is this guy? What are you doing here? <laughs> and then at the end, he outsmarts them all. And Miss Marple's the same. She's this doddery old little woman outsmarting everyone. And he's the same that people, yeah. this, sort of, this sort of and little I, I like thing that, that offsets people. He doesn't come with bravado or overconfidence. Yeah. This isn't our... Um, Downey Jr. or Cumberbatch Sherlock's yes. um, that are proving themselves to everyone. Sure. He doesn't need to. He can just, a lot, like, uh, he gets introduced by just sitting in the background and watching people oh, yeah. quietly assessing them, figuring out the tactics. Uh, it's all going on in the background for him. And then, obviously, it es- like all culminates in a great monologue of him. As these films always do. He's And he reveals it all. And it's 
a, such a good scene and your the smile on your face as he can like you think he's finished the monologue and then it goes further and further um and, and he smokes this giant cigar as well there is a mention of donut holes yeah that just totally will blindside you but is a perfect creation for that character um so he is one great discovery of this film the other is Anna Diamas um who is not as much of a name as Daniel Craig for sure people would have maybe seen her in Blade, Blade Runner 2049 she's the hologram that uh Ryan Gosling is in love with mm. um and yeah she's given a lot more to do in this than that film she's she's the main character of this film which i from this cast so you know Daniel Craig Jamie Lee Curtis Don Johnson Michael Shannon Tony Collette incredible cast and out of all those Anna Diamas is by far and away, I think, the lead of the film. I was so surprised that she is what the script this character, this character in this film takes a surprising turn that shifts the narrative mm. a lot more onto this character than yeah. one might expect. But this is like through all his films, Johnson is so good at doing this. Is like yeah. pulling the rug from you yeah, when yeah, you yeah. think you're standing on floorboards. Like he is so good at it, um, and it doesn't feel like we have lost time with other characters as well it feels like as it shifts to her that was the natural point for it um and she holds it really well and yeah he's referred to as the heart of the film and certainly amongst all of those people she seems to be the only one with one (laughs) yeah these people are awful (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah and they're they're all awful in their own different ways um Tony Collette as a sort of, kind of Gwyneth Paltrow. Yeah, she's playing Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> yeah. sort of flighty, hippie, kind of nutritional yeah. type person. And oh god, we could just do an enormous roll call. We shouldn't. Um, let's say one more to talk about. Uh, I really like John Johnson in the film, and it's we're having a bit of a renaissance at the moment. Nice. nice. Uh, so I really liked Dragged Across Concrete that he was in. He's incredible in uh, Knives Out. He's really good in Watchmen at the moment as well. Uh, and he plays this kind of weird. He's because he's married into the family in the film. But he's also a, this sort of Trump apologist, which is just it's a cut, like two throwaway lines that you hear in the background. But immediately that tells you so much about this character when he says something like, "I know he's an asshole, but maybe sometimes you need an asshole." Yeah, um, he reminds me a bit of um, the dad from Get Out as well. Yeah, um, sort of. There's a there's yeah. a good bit where he talks about his, how much he likes Hamilton and yeah. like proudly cl- cl- proclaims immigrants, we get the job done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah it, a f- fantastic bit of casting to bring him in. Uh, yeah, I look forward to the continuing redonnaissance. Yeah. Long may it rain. Yeah. Um, so we briefly touched on genre. This is a murder mystery, but it's also uh, an homage. It's not quite a spoof. Um, it it is very much operating in its own sphere for that kind of thing. Yeah, when this film was first announced, I was very on the edge of like, where is this film going to sit? Because the whodunit is such an old, stuffy genre, and it's now just sort of reduced to Midsummer Murders on ITV on a Sunday. Mm. That's why I think that's where the whodunit has ended up, and it feels like there's nothing new to do with the whodunit. That's it now. And I thought, oh, maybe he's going to do like like sort of a scream kind of thing where they're all aware they're in a whodunit or maybe you've gone, I don't know, I wasn't sure how he was going to play it, but he plays it really straight. He plays that this is a whodunit that doesn't know it's a whodunit. It's, I mean, there's references to some crime fiction because mm. uh, Christopher Palmer's character is a crime writer, but they're not super smart. They're not super genre literate characters. And the film is made in a really loving way. It's made by someone who I think loves the genre 
but also really knows the genre. You can tell he knows all the cliches. He knows things he's doing are obvious at times, but the fact that he but he does it without mocking them, yeah. which is important, I think. Yeah, it's somewhere in between a cabin in the woods and a murder on the Orient Express. Yeah. Like one is leaning really hard into the tropes and the absolutely winking at you the whole yeah. time. One is quite austere and cold and not so welcoming mm. uh, to genre fans. Yeah. And this plants itself between Fully the embraces two. the genre, but is aware enough to, to still surprise you, basically. Yeah. Uh, and every part of it looks terrific. Like the, the house... Yeah. Um, as Ryan said in the interview, he was able to give it to his art team and just just fill it with whatever you've got. <laughs> just have so much fun. Same with the costume design. Sam, you're even today wearing a very knives out cardigan. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, is actually this is kind of what uh, Chris Evans' character wears, and that that is knives out, which is in cinemas now. And I would really encourage anyone to check that out. As we mentioned, uh, films like Looper, Brick. If you want to check out. Some more Ryan Johnson stuff. Mm. Absolutely de- check this one out if you've enjoyed those. Or but Clue. Clue, yeah. yeah. Um, murder mystery fans. Yeah. Like, um, murder on the Orient Express. There was that yeah. John Malkovich uh, ABC murders oh, yeah. uh, last year on the BBC, which I thought was actually pretty good. But this is perfect timing. Get the family around for Knives Out. Absolutely. Um, right. So what is happening on home cinema then, Sam? So we're still doing our film of the day deal. So one film every day will get added and it will be one ninety nine for the rest of the month. Uh, so you can catch up on things like Capernaum. You can catch up with Hail Satan, which we spoke about on the show. Uh, Only You, the Harry mm. Woodliffe, Josh O'Connor film, uh, which a lot of people really love. That's heading into a few Biffa nominations exactly, as well. Yeah. So yeah, you can check those out for one ninety nine. And also uh, The Nightingale. You can watch The Nightingale. Great. Um, now, exciting news from the events world for Curzon. Mm. Uh, there's a few screen talks coming up that are like, pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah, so let me just run through these. So 30th of November at Soho, you can see a long interview with Pedro Almodovar. Uh, 2nd of December at Curzon Mayfair, Celine Sciamma, the writer-director of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. 5th of December, also at Mayfair, Noah Baumbach, the writer-director of Marriage Story. 7th of December, also at Mayfair, Robert Eggers, writer and director of The Lighthouse. And finally, 12th of December, again at Mayfair, Bong Joon-ho, writer-director of Parasite. Yeah, hashtag Bong Hive, rise up. Bong Hive. Come and sell sell out that (laughs) screening for sure. Um, But yeah, what an amazing bunch of uh, all writer-directors talking about their craft yeah. um, in well, a wonderful space like the Mayfair Screen 1 is such a lovely cinema to visit. Um, yeah. So if you want to go and sit in on what will probably be one of the best lectures you've had since uni, yeah. uh, go and check that out for sure. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on either of these films, Knives Out or The Nightingale, get in touch with us on Twitter at Curzon Cinemas or do it with us directly. On there is at Jake H. Cunningham if you want to follow me and Sam. At uh, Sam Howlett underscore one. And if it is your first time listening to the podcast and you've enjoyed it, do subscribe. You can do that on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And when you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely wonderful. Um, but it's time to bid farewell. Should we do so in true Benoit Blanc fashion? Ah, well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure.